0: This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. In this exclusive series, entrepreneur and creative leader, Andy Norman, takes us through his views on creativity, curiosity, and guts. To find out more about Andy, listen to the Q&A listed in the show notes. To find out more about Label Sessions, visit labelsessions.com. Welcome back to CCNG, the podcast equivalent of a psychedelic microdose. Let’s start this episode with a soup saw of high culture, shall we? There is a museum that opened up late 2019 in New York City in the trendy Soho district of town to be exact. Given its painstaking curation of unique content, its general admission ticket sets visitors back more than any other major art museum in America. To be exact once again, the basic $43 entry ticket to this museum is a whopping 72% more than you'd pay to get into the Museum of Modern Art in New York or San Francisco, the Metropolitan Museum on New York's Upper West Side, or the Art Institute of Chicago. What's more, VIP tickets at said museum go for at least double the general admission cost. Holy jeez! There must be something mighty special collected and displayed at this new museum to command such a staggering premium. Hmm, rare unseen selections from the great masters, perhaps. Priceless treasures from the Vatican? Maybe an assemblage of eye candy from Andy Warhol, Jean-Michel Basquiat, Chuck Close, and Keith Haring, all who used to roam Soho's Uber hip streets and alleys? Uh, not even close. So what does this museum exhibit? How about ice cream? Uh? Yep, the Museum of Ice Cream, the critically reviled but overwhelmingly popular new breed of selfie factories or Instagram museums that has brought immersive art to the masses, is selling out, on multiple levels, some would say. And it's selling out in many cities. Three other museums of ice cream have opened in Austin, Texas, Singapore, and Chicago, a mere 16-minute walk from the city's renowned and venerable Art Institute of Chicago. The new Miami Beach one should be opening as you hear this right now. P.S. Don't worry about things melting or milk products fermenting. The Museum of Ice Cream is a series of rooms or installations in ice cream museum parlance. Each room a colorful, pupil-popping, interactive exhibit in its own right, culminating in a sprinkled pool where one can dive into a reservoir of tactile color. The billions, yes, billions of social media photographs of and inside the Museum of Ice Cream have generated enough server farm heat to power the state of Ohio for a year. Okay, I made up that statistic, but I can't be too far off, can I? True stat, though, the Museum of Ice Cream is the most shared museum in the world, more so than the Louvre, the home of the Mona Lisa. The Museum of Ice Cream, you know, even though it's my sixth time saying it, it still sounds ridiculous rolling off my tongue. The museum was founded by Barry Ellis Bunn and Manish Vora in 2016. At her gig as Time Inc.'s head of forecasting and innovation, the then 25-year-old Bun drew inspiration from her perspective on American retail at traditional museums, which she has referred to as a dead industry and archaic. Ouch. Despite positioning itself as an alternative to more traditional institutions, Bun has stated she regrets using the term museum for the Museum of Ice Cream and now prefers the portmanteau Experiums to describe the company's offerings. Experience, hmm, how nouveau niche. Here's how the Museum of Ice Cream describes itself on its website. Experience multi-sensory installations with trained guides that bring to life your most delightful dreams. You may sing, dance, craft, swim, slide, climb, laugh, smile, lick, and even hug. And most definitely eat with treats included in your ticket. Let your imagination run free in a world where anything is possible. Quite the different vibe from the, please stand behind the line, don't touch anything and don't take photos ethos of most traditional art gathering edifices, right? More importantly, though, the site makes this Smackdown statement. The Museum of Ice Cream brings to life the universal power of ice cream by creating experiences that inspire imagination and connection, helping to rediscover the kid in you. Rediscover the kid in you. That is perhaps the main reason that the museum of ice cream and its ilk are thriving all over the world it's part of a trend of immersive installations focusing on everything from vincent van gogh to disney animation to the smurfs to alexa Mead's wonderland dreams where you get to immerse yourself in the world's largest painting crazy but to paraphrase mark anthony and julius caesar i have come not to bury the museum of ice cream but to try to contextualize its popularity an immutable fact of life is that we get older. But does that mean that we necessarily have to grow up while we do? Apparently not. And apparently, this is not intrinsically bad for you. Let's get to the source of this. I have said this often and believe in it full-heartedly. Everyone's a kid in Disneyland. What this means is that no matter how powerful or important you are elsewhere, like in your office or on the world stage, when you're walking amongst flying Dumbos and giant Mickey Mice, when you are climbing space mountains or dropping from towers of terror, you are gloriously stripped of all conceit, rank, and inhibition. This is a liberating feeling that's good for your soul, but more of this later on. There are countless examples of this. Let's take one of my faves, namely the celebration of Halloween. <laughs> I say celebration because Halloween used to be a mere kid's night out, a chance to dress up like some fantasy character or ambition like hockey player, ballerina, psycho killer, to dress up like that for a few hours and collect a bag full of candy in the process. Today though, Halloween is a multi-billion dollar industry and a multi-day holiday led and celebrated primarily by adults. According to the National Retail Federation, consumer spending on Halloween-related items reached an all-time high of $10.6 billion US in 2022, up from $8.05 billion in 2020. Of that gargantuan sum, $3.1 billion is spent on candy and $3.6 billion spent on costumes, $1.6 billion of which are spent on adult costumes, the other $2 billion split on costumes for kids and, I kid you not, pets. The home decoration market alone is worth $3.4 billion U.S., prompting one market analyst to say, Halloween may be the new Christmas when it comes to outdoor decorating. So is all of this just about grown-ups diving into sprinkle pools, taking selfies, dressing up, eating poorly, and being silly? I suppose it is, for those who underestimate and don't understand it. What it's really about is the concept of neoteny. A heady, hard to pronounce word that means the retention of juvenile features in the adult animal, also known as juvenilization. Way back in CCNG episode number three, we discovered the concept of virgin contact lenses. Can anyone recall and explain it? Anyone? <laughs> okay, it's up to me again. Well, virgin contact lenses is the act of seeing things again for the first time. In other words, adopting a beginner's view. In this episode, though, we're gonna take this a step further and encompass a beginner's soul. We're not merely going to see things for the first time, but imagine the entire world like a child does. This mindset is far from frivolous or silly, to once again quote the oft quoted CCng favorite Dr. Craig Wright, A childlike what-if imagination is one of the things that makes us human and accounts for discoveries and innovation in art, science, and social organization. It allows us to see the future. Wow, see the future. Such is the concept and the power of neoteny. I gave you a short definition before, but here's a more elaborate one from Amihud Gilead from his paper Neotony and the Playground of Pure Possibilities in the International Journal of Humanities and Social Sciences back in 2015. Ah, 2015, a very good year for papers. Neoteny ni- is a term coined by evolutionary biologists to explain the human capacity to perpetuate juvenile characteristics, such as curiosity play and imagination, into adult life. Like the words love and improvisation, play is yet another jewel of a term usually frowned upon in a business context, except uh, by those who have built businesses and brands while playing. Take Monty Python's John Cleese, for example. In his little jewel of a book called Creativity, he refers to psychologist Donald McKinnon. When McKinnon talks about play, He means the ability to get enjoyably absorbed in a puzzle, not just try to solve it so you can get onto the next problem, but to become really curious about it for its own sake. Picture small children playing. They are not trying to avoid making mistakes. They don't observe rules. At the same time, because their play has no purpose, they feel utterly free from anxiety. They are just exploring, not knowing where they're going, and not caring either. Or consider the popularity of Lego sets for adults. The most popular kids toy in the world has a fervent adult following. While only 5% of overall sales, adults buy Lego sets of landmarks like Paris's Eiffel Tower or Rome's Colosseum, or pop culture icons like the set of Seinfeld, an Adidas sneaker, or the Star Wars Millennium Falcon. Prices of these kits soar as high as the Millennium Falcon, ranging from a couple hundred dollars to over a thousand. So why play? What is the, pardon the pun, what is the end game of all this childlike behavior? There's a deeper objective to the act of playing, and that's to generate awe. Thinking and acting like a child can result in reacting like one, and reacting like a child can minimize built-in consumer defenses and make it easier for people to purchase goods and services. In other words, awe is good for business. Play may unlock creative doors to rediscover the long-hidden talents of one's inner child, but awe breaks through mental walls, appealing to a nostalgic, unguarded, unbridled psyche of a jaded consumer. In a Harvard Business Review article entitled, Why You Need to Protect Your Sense of Wonder, Especially Now, doctors David P. Fessel and Karen Riewicz concluded... One potentially powerful intervention is rarely talked about in the workplace, the cultivation of experiences of awe. That's because beyond physical effects like tingling and goosebumps and a lowered heart rate under stress, awe also affects us emotionally. Research suggests that awe can actively help reduce stress, like gratitude and curiosity. Awe can leave us feeling inspired and energized. It's another tool in your toolkit and it's now attracting increased attention due to more rigorous research. So break out your shorts, your hobby horses, your lollipops, and other smile-inducing icons of your youth. Tell your bosses and colleagues that before you deliver that multi-billion dollar make-or-break project, you're going to the park to play. Ain't that adorable? Before I go, if you've dug what you heard, or if you hated it, let me know at Label Sessions on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, or LinkedIn. And although I know that I shouldn't, I will still read every comment and promise to respond to those without spelling, grammar, punctuation, or other such nagging errors. So until next episode, which will be our last episode, see, CNGU you later. This podcast is brought to you by Label Sessions, the global platform that connects you to the best advice from the most interesting people. Around the world, we work with brands to connect their people to true leaders, just like the people you hear on this podcast, for live sessions of advice, mentorship, or sometimes to collaborate on ideas.